the starting lineup for your Gangsters, what's up guys? Are you a slacker? Envy. I'm not gonna debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet. Hello and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. I am Jed Sprague here with my co-host Evan Fagundis. Hello. And JT Chipman. Hey there. And this week we are doing our first ever TV episode of Flicking and Screaming. <gasps> Gasp. Blasphemy. <laughs> That's right. We're going to be talking about a couple of shows that we've been dying to talk about that we've been watching. And that is House of the Dragon and Rings of Power. Before we dive into that, gentlemen. How are we doing? Evan, talk to me, my guy. Um, I'm honestly doing really well. Things are a little bit busy. I was just telling you guys off mic at work, but um, my birthday is coming up uh, tomorrow, actually. We were recording this on the 14th, and my brother is coming into town to spend his first full weekend in uh, in the city since I moved here. So I honestly couldn't be, couldn't be better, going to get together with some friends, and um, just really looking forward to it. Love it. Chip, how are you? Great to hear. Great to hear on your end there, Evan. Salute to Dylan, friend of the pod. Yes, friend of the pod. Uh, friend. Close friend. Close friend, uh, quite literally related to part of the pod, of course. I'm doing very well. Uh, I know you guys play fantasy football, but I'm 1-0, and, and I've Ooh. traditionally been quite bad at fantasy football, so I'm, I'm pretty stoked uh, to, to be on the leaderboard right now and, and feel pretty good about that. And I got a lot of really good TV and movies in my life, so what's, what's to complain about? Uh, how, about how about you, Jed? You know what? I'm uh, I'm doing good, man. Just uh, putting together chairs, like rocking chairs, uh, getting all the old baby stuff down from the rafters. It is almost go time, uh, and it's going to sneak up on us pretty quick. So trying to savor these last couple weeks of uh, being a parent of one and getting some one-on-one time with, with little Charlie. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, ex- we're excited. Baby number two is on the way. Uh, it's nice to just have I'm- all this stuff already and just bring it on back out instead of going out and buying it. Oh, amazing. Like, find out we're having another girl was just, like, the biggest wallet break of all time. Just you <laughs> all the clothes, all the same toys. It was just incredible stuff. Um, but I'm going to have a lot of downtime, you know, here. And what I'm excited about is that we have two amazing shows that are on TV right now that are going to allow me a lot of, uh, a lot of time uh, to... To both think about and watch, uh, listen to other podcast materials, and I hope we get to talk a little bit more about this. I think as we venture into this, for those of you that have not turned this off because you're like, this is bullshit, I thought they were anti-TV, <laughs> um, we have been talking about this for a while, and how do we want to do it? This isn't, we don't want this to ever take over the entirety of the podcast, right? Because at the end of the day, we love movies more than we love TV shows, and we want to make sure that we are talking about movies first and foremost. But there are the occasional shows that are so cinematic that they just capture our attention and steal our focus uh, while they are on. And I think these two shows uh, have done that so far. And I think we're going to you know, take some a couple breaks here and there to talk about some of the things we've been watching and try to view them through a uh, holistic, artistic lens as if you would view a film. Um, so I'm excited. Uh, any, anything else you guys want to add on just as like the disclaimer to just ensure folks that, that we aren't straying too far from the, the ethos from the Magna Carta of flicking and screaming. 
I mean, at the very least, with Rings of Power, we can talk about how that's rooted in movie lore. I mean, the Peter Jackson trilogy is one of our great trilogies of all time, and we've all talked about how important that is to us, and we'll probably talk about it more. But I think it's only natural for a movie podcast to be curious about, you know, a TV extension of a movie universe that we that we love a lot. And uh, it's it's Game of Thrones. Like, come on. 100%. Uh, let's chat really quick off the top. I think we're going to start with House of the Dragon because I think we have a little bit more to say. we got more episodes at this point. Um, and also, I think just a lot to dig into on this show. <laughs> That's the only one that I've seen. So okay. I appreciate so, us starting there as well. I think, I think maybe the goal of this podcast for me and Chip is to get you, uh, you know, rings of power curious. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fair. Get you so pilled. let's start with... Let's start with House of the Dragon. Evan, what's your relationship to the like Song of Ice and Fire universe and uh, and George R. R. Martin's work? Yeah, the George verse. I I mean, I just really loved Game of Thrones. I, I definitely did. I, I was one of the people. I mean, I'll admit, like I had problems with the way that it ended. Ended, but overall, I have pretty fond feelings of Game of Thrones. It was one of the, you know first shows i'd say that i started watching in real time and felt like i liked being in on like the importance of of watching that show and being able to tell people that you saw that week's episode um and have rewatched it um twice no no once through um post that that first watch when i started in about season four i believe is when i first started watching it every sunday um so yeah i mean i'm a fan like i was wary coming into the new show for sure just because of like the Star Warsification that that I was afraid might happen, but um, I mean I'm always open to more George. What about you, Chip? Yeah, so I came late to the Game of Thrones universe. I binged seasons one through seven in that spring leading up to season eight. Tom had not watched wow. any of it. I was yeah right. You know you can. I was that guy. I'm not afraid of being <laughs> that guy, right? At least I got there, um, and I had a lot of fun with that binge. Let me tell you, it was really a good time i mean i just powered through and did it in like a month a month and a half something like that wow i i loved it it's it's such a good show and yeah season eight not great but i'll defend season seven i'll defend season six i'm i think there's even moments in season eight that are pretty spectacular i mean when you when you have that you know when you have hbo money quite frankly and you have hbo production value and this same group of actors um, the same crew, you know, the same uh, composer uh, that, that we know and love. There's hard to look at that and not at least get something out of it. Um, the finale is really, like, the final episode is where you can draw, like, a hard line. But I would even say, like, I find some value in episodes one through five of the uh, of season eight. Um, and there's just there's just really not a show like it. I've been re-watching it, and, you know, I always looked back and was like, oh, season one is so cringy, and all the kids, you know, they're all little annoying little shits. And, like, they're really not that bad. Like, there's a lot of, like, pretty good kid acting from the young Starks and from, like, I mean, Joffrey's a shit, but he's a really good actor. So I, I really think that we've let season eight discolor um, how great Thrones really was. Interesting. I, I kind of am in the same camp as you. First of all, I just want to go out there and say, Season six doesn't need any defending. Like the end of season six is maybe the pinnacle of television. Like season I agree, six, but 10. I think people poke holes in the beginning of season six. I think no no one's going to complain about Battle of the Bastards. But I think that some okay. people think season six outside of those last couple episodes is tough. And they're wrong. Got it. So my background, 
with this is I've been watching since like I watch Game of Thrones every single Sunday from season one, episode two. Um, I had, I had someone approach me at school uh, and say, dude, this show premiered on HBO last week. It's called Game of Thrones. And I think it'll be right up your alley. Somebody that knew I was, you know, massive Lord of the Rings fan knew I was kind of into that fantasy uh, genre. And so I watched as a 14 year old. And I mean, of course, early on, you know, who the sex scenes, everything when you're like 13, 14 years old, you're just like, fuck, yeah, this is this is also the shit. But I I immediately after the end of season one dove in and read all the books that were available to read up to that point because I was so infatuated with the world and and like the rule breaking that it felt like it made. Right. I think in that's the famous thing, right, is um, George Martin was like I'm talking about what's Aragorn's tax policy. Right. That's what he's interested in is like, mm-hmm. what are the actual like machinations of these like fantasy worlds, not the traditional good versus evil. And I think as like a teenager, that was really appealing to me. Uh, all of these, like, you know, the traditional good versus evil movies, you're starting to maybe lose faith a little bit that there is a true good versus evil, that that kid inside you is dying and you're starting to embrace uh, adulthood. Um, I mean, aside now that I am back in adulthood, I wish we could go back to a simple good versus evil <laughs> kind of world. Um, but at the time, I remember being so infatuated with that. And so getting to live that like week by week, it was such a big part of my life for so long. And then that you know, slowly having all my friends and family join on the on the party being like, oh, yes, OK, I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch. And then obviously the disappointment with with season eight. And I think kind of we don't need to litigate that. I think it's been well, well documented, the issues with that and and why uh, it it went that way. Um, I think there's a little bit to do with uh, people just getting exhausted and also people wanting to hop off and do Star Wars projects. So the real enemy here is Kathleen Kennedy. I think that's what we what we need to establish. Um, but can we extrapolate that to House make of- George Lucas the real enemy? Because, you know, that's always my focus. That's fair. <laughs> that's, um, I think coming to House of the Dragon, though, I was really excited. Like, di- like season eight did not dampen my want for more Thrones. Did you guys feel that same way? I think so, yeah. No. No. I, well, I didn't quite know it was coming, or I, I knew it was coming a while back when it was first announced, and then I felt like it really snuck up on me. So honestly, because I hadn't been thinking about it for whatever it was, like, you know, 18 months or something, 20 months, I just kind of kind of forgot a little bit. I don't know. Like, I, I, was, I was excited when I turned it on that night on HBO, but I just haven't been, like, anxiously waiting, I guess. That's fair. So... But it was more because of I missed it. Being that this is a our first ever TV podcast, I think we should probably talk a little bit about how we want to talk about the show so far. Mm-hmm. We're only four four episodes in. You guys are both non fire and blood book readers, so you don't know what's coming. Um, do you guys want to talk about? how the show has compared to Thrones so far? Do we want to start off with how it's introduced itself on its own? You want to talk about a little bit about the performances? What's really stood out to you that's grabbed your attention? That's something that you want to talk about? Yeah. 
So for your first point, comparing it to Thrones, this is a much more narrow and much more focused show than Thrones, I think. I mean, with Thrones, how many different families do you have? How many different banners do you have? How many different locations on that, you know, that great map that we see in, in that opening credits, right? And it's fantastic because of that. I like that House of Dragon is about, for the most, it, it's about one family. And there's outside, there, there, there's such a clear line right, between the Targaryens and everyone else around them. We only see the families around the Targaryens when they're interacting with the Targaryens, when they want to get something from the Targaryens, when the Targaryens want something from them. It all runs through the literal house of the dragon. It runs through the dragon's blood. Um, and I think that's a really good take on this kind of show and on this scale. I think it's a nice switch up. I think Thrones... Is, is so expansive that it can be exhausting and sometimes you lose track of which character is which who's a, who, who's pledging allegiance to who you know who, who who's running with who basically right who's backstabbing who it's a little bit easier to follow in this show i think and it's also very much spread out now i know that it pardon me wishes we were almost doing this episode next week because that would be the conclusion of kind of the some of the younger child actors right i think episodes one through yeah. five we, we have a certain group of actors, and a big time jump happens for episodes 6 through 10. Nevertheless, we're flying through time right now. Each episode is spaced out by, by months and even years sometimes. And again, I think that's really fun. These characters aren't really changing a lot in these big time jumps. They, they're Thrones characters, so they're all kind of pieces of shit in one way or another. They're all backstabbing each other. They're all screwing each other, literally or figuratively, right? And they just keep doing that. They don't change. But they do these things in different environments and in different contexts, right? So it's kind of proving, and to talk about another show, um, Jesse Armstrong of Succession his whole belief in television shows is that people don't change. And then any character growth you see will always get reverted back because people are who they are. And I've been thinking about that a lot with these first four episodes because Viserys is who he is. Otto is who he is. They have their own agendas. They're going to keep pushing them no matter what year it is, no matter who's around them. And that's, you know, you can see some of that in Thrones too, right? But I think Thrones did try to give some characters a little bit more of an uh, maybe a redemption arc or maybe a, a, a descent arc of some kind. We haven't really seen a lot of that yet, but but I'm okay with it. That's a very different kind of uh, agenda behind the characters, I think. Yeah, knowing, I think knowing what I know, having read Fire and Blood and just being generally aware of, of like where the plot is heading, this this very much feels like getting the characters to their places on the chessboard before the real story happens. It feels like the prologue that we're just getting to spend a lot of time with, which I think is kind of cool and, and, and kind of unique. I almost, <laughs> it's going to sound, sound funny, but it's almost, I'm almost likened it to another show that uh, I watched recently called the bear. Uh, I don't know. Have you guys watched the bear? I haven't. I need to. Amazing, amazing, amazing show um, about uh a family restaurant that gets handed to a fancy um, chef. But that whole first season is so clearly a prologue for what's to come, right? It was almost like their pitch explaining everything that's happening to get you to watch the rest of the show um, and buy into the characters. And I think we're getting a chance to see that here with House of the Dragon. Um, and I, I'm very interested to see kind of at what point in this season uh, – 
do the line start getting drawn? Like I'm, I'm like mentally prepared for like the a huge, huge cliffhanger hanging, uh, heading into to season two. Uh, Evan, what about, what about you? Is there anything that's really stuck out for you that like you've enjoyed or maybe not so much, um, you know, as you've watched? I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to immediately bring up something that like I haven't enjoyed. No, I, no, this is good. This is good. I, I don't want to be the turd in the punch bowl. Like I am very <laughs> excited to be talking about this. I, I honestly, um, I've had a good time watching it each Sunday, but I, I've kind of left it at that at this point. Like, it, it's hard for me. I know it's, like, Thrones property, but I'm definitely not out here, like, this is a direct extension or, like, almost if I looked at it without knowing anything prior, I don't think at this point, like, I would be saying, oh, this is in, like, the, the like, Pantheon category already. I, I can just see, like, we have an absolute classic. But I am having a good time with it. Uh, I do like the idea of, like, condensing down onto very similar characters it's that's one of the most unthrones like thing it's it's almost felt like is like you're meeting a lot of people but you're staying in the pov of of a few characters so mm. you're getting a lot of them which i actually do like and um i i feel like the highlight for me definitely i feel like some of the acting has been really good um especially in I'm trying to think was it episode three was uh, the boars, uh, like the, or the hunt? Yeah. Yes. Like the hunt, I thought really good stuff from uh, Patty Considine, I believe is his name, mm -hmm. uh, playing Viserys. Um, obviously, like Matt Smith is really good. He's one of those guys that is almost so famous in a way, or, or at least like enough of a meme that it almost feels a little bit weird to have him in a show that you're watching every week. Um, but it's cool. Like it definitely brings some star power. I think he's really good in the show. Lily Alcock, Al Alcock, I believe, yeah, yeah, it's been very good. Um, so that's definitely been a highlight. Yeah. Yeah. In this oh, most recent episode, uh, episode four, so Millie Alcock, the relationship with Damon, relationship with Matt Smith, obviously is constantly evolving. Episode four uh, uh, peaks in a lot of ways. But she is phenomenal. Like, I don't think she's missed a beat so far um, with, with who her character is. Um and what and kind of what her her agenda is, which isn't really much of an agenda. Her agenda is just like, hey, let me do me. Like I'm I'm really kind of good on all of your all of your games and all of your politics. Like I don't need to to select a king's guard based off of their house. I just know that hey, this guy he he's a warrior and also he's kind of hot, so I'm gonna pick him and I might bone him later. But like that's irrelevant. I just think that he's he's the guy for the job. She's not gonna get caught up in anything. Yeah, I I think. Millie Alcock's been amazing. Obviously, Matt Smith, I think his performance has been so in enticing. And I think in a lot of ways, he's getting the most to do and like getting to have the most fun. But Evan, the first name you mentioned was Patty Constantine, who plays King Viserys. For me, that's been the standout performance so far of the show. Um, I think he's he's getting to do a lot and kind of play a lot of different notes to the point where it's almost every episode where I feel like the way I feel about this guy changes. Um, you know, is he a scumbag? Is he a good person? Uh, you know, is he a little bit of both? Is he just basically bad fit to be king? But you know, he's a good a good human. I, I think it's a it's a a lot of really interesting notes that that he's playing. And then him opposite uh, Reese Fons. Uh, shout out to Spike from Notting Hill um, as Otto Hightower. Those those two have been my favorite pair to watch because. And I don't think for a second that this isn't to do with the fact that 
you know, following Millie Alcock and um, and uh, Emily Olivia. Carey, who plays. Yeah, no, Olivia Cook plays uh, is coming. Emily oh, Carey she's the plays, older. Okay. Yeah, plays young Allison. But I think spending a lot of time with them, and then getting a chance to spend time with uh, some older and much more seasoned actors, uh, that uh, stark contrast and like not just the way that they act, but the way that they they have kind of handled themselves and like i don't know i feel like when you're watching patty and when you're watching uh reese they're very much taking their time with the characters even though we are having these time jumps i feel like i i've gotten to know more about viserys and uh, otto hightower than i have about any of the other characters does that yeah yeah there there might be time jumps between episodes but the episodes themselves feel very centered around like a day or a weekend or even like yeah. a few really important conversations. So those that the episodes themselves don't feel rushed. I could see how someone might be like, hey, you know, the actual timeline of events is a bit rushed, but they really take their time when it gets down to the nitty gritty. And when you do have a council meeting, right? I love Matt Smith, unbelievably so as Damon. I mean, I was sold on him just after the first episode, but really, it's it's that uh, finale of third episode versus the crab feeder and versus the crab feeder's entire army. Um, when you, I mean, he puts in a really physical performance, and it's not like I picture Matt Smith as like a I don't know like a Henry Cavill type. A lot of people are trying to cast Henry Cavill or like even recasting Damon as Henry Cavill or putting Henry Cavill as the original as uh, Aegon the Conqueror or whatever, right? Matt Smith is doing a, a physical performance, whether he's sauntering around in the throne room, whether he's dragging the crab feeder's body out of the cave. He's got a lot of power on screen, and he's just serving every chance he gets. That's so funny that you mentioned that the end of episode three, when he's facing down the crab feeder, is like your favorite part, because I think that's my least favorite Damon what? that we've got. Yeah, like, I mean, it was good, but my favorite Damon is like what we got in the end of the last episode where he's like rolling around hung over on the floor of the throne room and he's totally just like oh what does it matter like you're gonna believe what you're gonna believe and then he's he's like basically brokering trying to broker a deal to you know to marry Rhaenyra um, who is his niece by the way we're not gonna get into all the incest stuff because <laughs> it's just it's gonna happen um but like it's just the the amount of charisma and energy and like command that he has in that that conversation with you know his brother king viserys but he's the one that's hung over curled up on the floor but still he seems to be like totally owning that conversation he's completely in control of that situation even when viserys has a knife pressed up against his neck you're you always feel like damon is the controlling force um in that relationship and like it's that dynamic right it's his kind of like, what makes me so interested in Damon is I don't fully understand his motivations for anything yet. And I think, like, the crab feeder thing, for me, it was just so much more cut and dry. And it was just like, yeah, like a hero doing cool hero stuff. But yeah. I, I like so when he's... When I'll counter you a little bit, right? I, I, I totally do. I, I love as well. I mean, episode one, episode four, both end with Damon, like, kind of not really denying uh, an accusation from Viserys. So, again, people don't change. Um the end of episode three, maybe you could point to like the direction of that scene being more impressive than Damon's performance itself. I mean, I, it was just classic Thrones to me. It was Battle of the Bastards, right? I mean, it's all Miguel Sapochnik stuff, um, one man versus an army. So it is 
uh, it is probably a winking throwback. You know, it's like, hey, remember we did this? Um, But I still think that the the direction and the music and the choreography, the, 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 you know, the dance against the arrows was still impressive enough that I was bought in on it. Uh, but I mean, I, I think I disagree. I really think he, Matt Smith is pretty special in that episode three scene. That's so funny um, that that's what you were like. That's classic Thrones. Cause Evan, I want to know, cause you start watching in season four, what, like what your interpretation of what classic Thrones is, right? Cause to me, battle of the bastards, like that's not classic Thrones. That's like, that's the best of the we have a huge audience we have the biggest budget thrones that mm. we got but i'm kind of reveling in the the people talking in rooms like the seasons 2 and 3 version of thrones where maybe we get a little bit of action and battle but it cuts away from like the big huge set piece stuff uh, and we get more of the like the aftermath or the you know the prelude to the battle so what's your perspective on on what classic thrones is having kind of split the difference almost exactly between us in like when you started watching um i think so classic thrones to me i i hear what you're saying like my favorite part of of thrones and i don't know if that's the same thing it's not i don't get to determine what the, <laughs> what the classics are but i do like this stuff just happening in rooms um, walks down the back alleys. Like, that's kind of what I returned to Thrones for. Like, when I rewatched, I was watching that stuff. Um, however, it does feel like very classic Thrones to have, like, those big, like, emotional moments or, like, moving moments actually hit. And that's something that, like, the Battle of the Bastards definitely did for me. At that point, I was I was so bought in. So while it might not be, like, the first episode I go to to be like, this is, like, what I want everything out of out of thrones like i was so juiced when it happened um i will say i feel like that is what i missed a little bit with with the end of of that episode i honestly technically i thought it looked great and like um the dragons actually or the dragon actually looked really good i thought at the end of of that battle um but i i definitely was i was I was a little bit confused. We can maybe talk about that in a bit. Like I was a little bit confused just about what was happening there. And and that kind of was at one of the points where I felt like we were moving very fast. Yeah. I think that the stakes of that battle is what has suffered the most from the time jumping. Um, Even to the point where like you get introduced to, to Lenor Valerian, uh, you know, a dragon rider in the beginning of that scene, like right before Damon beats the shit out of the guy that brings, that brings the letter, um, which is just classic. That's that just great. like classic tough, tough guy stuff. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not getting, I'm not getting saved here. Um, but you meet him and, and he's a dragon rider and he's going to, you know, obviously a very important character. Um, you know, he's going to be uh, engaged or betrothed to uh, Rhaenyra here pretty soon. And we don't get to spend any time with him that we're worried. We're even worried when arrows are being shot at him when he's you know on on a sea smoke his dragon which by the way best looking dragon of the season so far he, he's got like the little goatee it looks gangster <laughs> i'll be honest i it took me a while to realize that that was a different dragon all right cr calm down <laughs> <laughs> okay, i'm not being serious a cgi'd man on a dragon and then a quick like master shot and then back to the battle and i was just like is he on so damon's you... dragon like okay so that's interesting because i think this is actually a huge point that the show needs to nail because there are 
17 dragons that are going to get introduced to us over the course of the series, according to Ryan Connell um, and Miguel Sapochnik. And we're going to meet nine this first season. So far, we've only met three. We've met Cyrax, who's Rhaenyra's. We've met Caraxes, who is Damon. Oh, we met Sea Smoke, Sea Smoke, who is Lenor Valerian's. Um, so I think that's a huge part that the show needs to get right. And I think that's actually something that, like, I don't know. And I maybe I've been blind to this because I've read Fire and Blood, and so I'm a little bit more aware of like who the characters are. Have you guys found it hard to follow like the key players and like their roles and anything? without any supporting material? Not really. Um, like I said, that is a benefit of the narrow focus on the family, is it's a little bit easier than Thrones to remember who people are. I could see it getting a little bit trickier with the dragons. I mean, three... I mean, we never had more than three dragons on screen with Thrones. Uh, so we've already, like, reached the, the limit of what we saw in eight seasons. So I, I almost, like... I don't know. Do we need like a Sunday night football, like the dragons to pop up for every episode and be like Caraxes, House Targaryen, <laughs> you know, like Ohio I, that, State, <laughs> the say. Ohio State. Yeah. <laughs> I would be down for that. Um, I don't think that's a terrible idea. I think they're, though, that's the one thing they've talked about a lot, right? Is trying to make the dragons visually distinct from one another. Um, and I, it's funny, like maybe I've been like, dialing in on that as someone that was like i was watching all the promotional material right so mm-hmm. every time you know miguel sapochnik or ryan condal's like doing an interview that i see on my twitter timeline it's like we're gonna have 17 dragons and they're not gonna all fucking look the same remember how they all looked the same in game of thrones not now but maybe to somebody that was not like it hasn't been like looking for that i guess i could see how it would yeah. be like a little i bit can more. i can tell when it's caraxes when it's bloodworm just because of the neck and the color like that is so distinct but i can see it being a little bit trickier with more dragons to come so we'll see i i, I don't you know not 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 going to cast any judgment before i actually see them on screen but we'll see all right any what do you, anything else you guys want to talk about before we move on to rings of power and i think we're going to circle back and kind of compare the two one one more thing I wanted to mention. So I feel like we're talking about it a little bit the way I'm kind of like, and it, and yes, I am following the characters probably uh, quicker than I did when I watched like Game of Thrones the first time through. As far as pretty much knowing each time who's on screen, kind of what their motivations have been to that point. Um, here and there between an episode, maybe when they introduce somebody pretty quickly, I struggle. But. Um, The show to me feels like, and it makes sense because the book, right, is a history of this house um, Mm -hmm. and the reign that they had. It feels like reading a history book to me. Um, Like these jumps in time, it makes sense that I know everyone who's in the room because the show seems to kind of be telling me that every single thing matters. Like it Mm -hmm. matters pretty soon. That to me is the biggest break from Game of Thrones where – something that there can be whole scenes in season two that don't really even pay off in season two. It's kind of just building a character or building characters for, for like the long haul. Um, And that's, it does feel like sometimes when they do jumps in time, it's sort of like these people in this specific story over this three day period, like this is important. Like this is important. Everything that you're going to see right now. Um, I don't know. Are you guys getting that set? Like it, 
I don't know if I explained correctly, like what I meant by it feels like a history book, but I totally get what you're saying. It's like, you feel like rather than watching this, like this in real time unfold. And then a decision that was made, like in season two comes back to bite somebody in season five, because we're jumping so much, you feel like you're getting the action and the consequence, the action and the consequence all very quickly. And what I'm really interested to see is that's going to change. Right. So we're we are basically doing a dead sprint. We're doing these time jumps at this point to set up the dance of dragons, which is the Targaryen civil war. Right. That's no secret. And so when that shifts, when it slows down and we're not jumping as much, how is that going to change the tone of the show? And I'm really interested to like go back and rewatch these first couple episodes after we've gotten maybe a whole season of more like a traditional timeline and to see if those they feel out of place or or odd once the timeline is slowed down you know what i mean yeah so i feel like i'm pushback peter over here but i i, I we agree too reason... much on the show it's perfect <laughs> that finally yeah um the reason that I like the everything going on with the crab feeder is because it isn't super high stakes, I don't think, right? I mean, this is kind of like it we don't have a huge backstory for the crab feeder. There's not a huge like mono e mono showdown between the two where the crab feeder reveals who he really is and his motivations. He has no lines in the show, right? I like yeah. that. It's low stakes. It's just like, hey, Damon took care of business over here. Now we move on. Did he though? So that that's one of my <laughs> What's he? He was over there. He was over there playing like a jump ball with the crab feeder for two and a half years, and gets a letter. And in one day, he just what? What is our guy doing? It seems like he was a little so, bit. He was like asleep at the wheel a little bit, wasn't he? I think he likes fucking around. I think I think he likes the. Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't think he's super happy to be home. He doesn't like his wife, so he doesn't want to hang out with her and be anywhere near her. He's not on good terms with his brother, so he doesn't want to hang out there. He's battling all he sorts of feelings his about his niece, so he's keeping himself out of trouble there. He wants to be liked by his brother. I'm very much convinced by that from his character. I think so. And he wants his brother. He wants his brother to love him. Yeah, Who's I think is Viserys older? Viserys is older, right? Viserys is the older brother. Their parents died very young, so they kind of only have ever had each other. Mm-hmm. Um. So, I don't know. It's gonna be interesting. Can we all agree though that the best scene of the whole season was the opening to episode three? When the guy is is, uh, you know, na- getting nailed to the stake, and then he's like, "My prince, my prince is here to save me," and then Caraxes just lands right on him, and he's like, "Ah!" Oh. <laughs> it's so- great because that feels like Caraxes is an extension of Damon. You know, it's like yeah. their personalities are meshed. Yeah, yeah, it's just like don't don't give a fuck, um, which is Not just incredible. Single. No, incredible stuff. Um, I think the one maybe the note that will leave this on is i think we've all been enjoying it in very different ways what's something that you want to see moving forward like by the end of the season something i want to see it could be like a plot thing it could be like time with more like uh more time with the character um anything i I can go first mine is i want to see masaria drop that stupid fucking accent it's the worst (laughs) accent in the history of tv um, and I, I just like sh- spoiler. She's gonna be around for a little bit. Yeah. She's a character, and I, I can't do whatever four or five seasons of that. Uh, that's what we've, you know, if that's how long the show is really gonna go. 
I need. I, I think I need Allison. The Pirates of the Caribbean. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> so bad. It is bad. I I I think I need Allison and Rhaenyra to work out whatever tension they have, and I don't mean that in like a perverted guy with binoculars through a window kind of way. Like they, they need to go to Stream some... Silk. <laughs> they need to. They need to to take a trip to the pleasure house. Um, whatever it takes to just like dissolve this tension. Uh, maybe and you know artistically, it's probably better that it's unspoken that it's show not told you know but uh hey y'all y'all got some unresolved stuff here maybe get in a group therapy session maybe use i feel statements and work it out You're so who's missaria again missaria is the the whore that damon pretended oh, to marry and oh, then now she oh. now she's back in king's landing as yeah. uh and she's an informant you know for Otto. she's the white worm she's the one that like her network of spies uh, snitched on Damon and Rhaenyra in the last episode. Right, right. She was in Devs, right? The actress. Uh, I think Devs, Crazy Rich Asians, is what I know her. From. Okay. She was She's in um, a bunch of Alex Girl and stuff. Yeah. Okay. The funny thing is, I, I like, don't remember her. I remember her being like good. Sonia, uh, Sonia Mizuno. Yeah, she's in Ex Machina. She's great in that. Yeah, Ex Machina, mm-hmm. La La Land. Men. Ah, uh, men. Crazy Rich Asians, yeah. Ah, men. Uh, I don't remember, I don't, like, I remember her, like, being good in Crazy Rich Asians. Not, like, remarkably good, but this is just, yeah, it's been tough, so. Good face acting from her, though, on the bridge at, uh, is it at Dragonstone? On the bridge? Oh, yeah. Great, that's acting. my favorite, favorite set piece of the season so far. Easily. Um, yeah, it's so good. I love I love Otto and Damon interacting. Uh, Evan, what do you, what's the one thing you want to see? Um, I I think I'd like to see more of King's Landing. We got a little taste of it at the end of last episode. Um, what? We've what? been in King's Landing the whole time. Like outside of the keep. Okay, I should have said outside of the keep. Oh, like I like I when bet. they're like in the streets. Like I said, my favorite part of Game of Thrones is in the streets. And outside of the end of of last episode, and that kind of like raid that damon and and his gold cloaks um went about in the first episode we kind of haven't been in like down in the gutters so maybe just a a little bit more of that we've been in a lot of castles and maybe that's just going to be the whole thing i I guess it could be but evan who is your who is your favorite character on thrones because i have a guess based off of that hope um like braun was definitely up there okay we're gonna say we're gonna say baelish no, I thought it might be Arya. Uh, oh, because uh, Arya is Arya was my favorite Thrones character. I know. I remember Thrones. some legendary Arya, uh, like tweet threads. Well, no, there were the those were that was Sophie Turner tweet threads. We don't we don't talk about those. <laughs> I loved um, dude Baelish was my was my my dude. His accent yeah. again, not Baelish. a great accent, but Chip, I I think I'm I'm a bit confused. Uh, Absolutely. I, mean, I just love I loved everything. I mean, about. on rewatch, he was definitely my favorite character, actually, now that I think about it. When you Baelish. see him moving, when you see him moving from like day mm-hmm. one, you're like, oh shit. He's the guy that like we were talking about a little bit earlier off camera, me and Chip, about how knowing the you know, spoilers for me don't ruin things. Often they kind of enhance the experience because I I get to almost feel more suspense than surprise. 
um, and watching him like work in the background, knowing all the things that were going to happen from having read the books after seeing season one was like electric, electric. I, I think like Baelish might have been my favorite end to any of the characters. Like that, I feel like that's like a lot of people's problems. Kind of my problem too is just like, and it's a very like spoiled fan thing to say, but just like lots of the characters' arcs didn't quite end where I would have I would have liked or, or felt a little bit rushed. And his felt, you know, it's just when you're flying that close to the sun for that long, like yeah. at a certain point you're gonna get burned. His felt, I mean, that we all we all jaws dropped to the floor. But it was like, how do uh, how do you respond to these charges? Yeah, Lord Baelish. <laughs> and the camera pan over to him. Yeah. Yeah. Just incredible. See, that's stuff. what – like, Thrones could do the cheesiest shit in the world, and it would still play. Yeah. Like, yeah. that shit is so funny. It's almost like a like a Three Stooges bit to just be, like, <laughs> other guy. <laughs> no, it's like mm-hmm. it, all it was missing was the record scratch. It was like, yeah, yeah that's me. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the uh, Varys right. Baelish um, – one last thing on it. <laughs> when he – the chaos is a ladder speech is obviously great, but it's great right before chaos is a ladder when Varys is like, so much blood for so many thousands of blades. And Baelish is like, there aren't 2,000 blades. There's not even 200. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. That was a bad accent, but his accent wasn't any better. But it's, and Varys is like, I'm sure you have counted them. They had such great rapport. And it, it is tough because I, I mean, Otto is pretty close to that. But I mean, Aiden Gill is just another level. They, He's like, they have those scenes, though, that I'm talking about where it's like they were just chatting. You know what I mean? Like the, those two would like legitimately just be chatting like 20 minutes of an episode. Yeah, they're just on a walk. Like, yeah. Having a, having a conversation. Like, you know, think about the amount of times that Tyrion poured a glass of wine and just talked to somebody at a table. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the stuff that made Thrones what it was. And so I hope that as we definitely get into, you know, very action heavy uh, stuff that we get all of the politicking i think that i hope that continues because like watching like auto move watching watching viserys have to deal with that and watching all of like the machinations of like the small council and stuff like that still will forever be my um my favorite part of the show i mean watching watching Otto's face right before he had to go in and tell tell viserys when he's like am i making the right decision <laughs> by by telling him that his brother is fucking is is fucking his his daughter um is this the right call mm-hmm. i love i love that um all right we've talked uh, a lot longer than i was planning on house of the dragon but i think that's a good sign i'm excited to continue talking about this i think the next time we'll probably uh follow back on this is probably at season's end and we'll look Promise. on it um was it a successful season of television um where do we go from here so excited uh to chat about that more let's quickly turn to a show that chip only you and i have i've started watching um but i think we have we've had very different reactions to the first couple episodes and that is uh rings of power the lord Mm -hmm. of the rings show uh from amazon what's been your gut reaction to the first couple episodes uh, of rings of power yeah i really like it um it is it is a slow build you know uh and i i enjoy that quite a bit so far i think um it's very beautiful. It's very picturesque. I, I was in a movie theater and I saw a trailer for the show on the big screen. And I was like, oh, my God, this looks amazing. Um, and it, it's tough because you don't quite get that at home. But 
something about watching that trailer on the big screen it almost like comforted me like okay they're really doing this shit and like maybe it doesn't translate to my little to, to my tv that i'm watching it on but i was like there is the quality shines no matter really no matter what screen you're on you know i mean i, I feel like if you were to um take your average tv show and put it on a big screen theater trailer you'd be like okay some lose a little lose a little bit of magic but um there's really a lot of quality in the filmmaking you can tell where the money went uh, when they're in uh, Numenor, I believe, is the the island that we visited this most recent episode. I mean, it's it is just absolutely stunning. Um, yeah, I and turned to Rachel. It. I turned to Rachel when they pulled into Numenor and was like, "So that's what a billion dollars looks like." Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's crazy. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely gorgeous, and it's very bright. You know, um, there's there's a whole range of colors for every location that we go to. There's a whole range of characters, um, and, and these characters are vibrant they're really exciting it's hard to live up to the magic of uh, what i think we all agree is a perfect trilogy um and to live up to really such iconic fantasy performances it is it's a challenge especially as you're doing it over eight episodes and in a slightly different format but i'm coming to really care for these characters already i'm coming to care for i i, I do care for the harfits i care for the hobbits i mean I'm not gonna call any names of any other famous podcasters but i'm i'm, ju I'm just saying i'm on team harfoot and I, I really am enjoying uh their uh camaraderie you know and their stick to that's very important for any lord of the rings um yeah best i think the my favorite scene of the whole show thus far has been their little ceremony uh calling out all the names of all the harfoots that have been left behind during the migration yeah uh just like really sad but also like sweet you know of that like that sense of community it's funny it's like how do they create like a sense of community but also like these are people that we like left behind mm. <laughs> yeah is is really is really interesting uh to me i think it's watching the first episode after having seen two weeks of House of the Dragon was really jarring for me. It was hard to get back into that headspace of like true good versus true evil. Um, they speak much more poetically in mm -hmm. Rings of Power like they do in, in Lord of the Rings. And, and you just feel that kind of old school fantasy. I mean, Tolkienness, right, is just dripping off the show. And I think that's what I've loved about it most so far is it feels very well taken care of i think the like what we worry about what i worried about when this got announced um you know is is much like the end result of what the the disney star wars trilogy was right it's just things not handled with care things that are are moved uh just to make money and it, this doesn't feel like that at all it feels like they're trying to actually tell an interesting um and unique story and I think what they've done, which I love, Chip, like you mentioned, is they are compressing the timeline of events from like what is in the books, but they're not time jumping and speeding through things. They're compressing the overall timeline of the show from basically like when they start to where it has to kind of end into a shorter period of time, but they're still taking their time with individual aspects of it. Like the fact that we don't know anything really more about the stranger, you know, the the meteor man in this episode um, than we did when we first met him, I think is like a really, like a really cool thing. The fact that we are, we're, 
letting these mysteries and these questions breathe a little bit more. I completely agree. I really agree. It is interesting to go from like characters who are so utterly selfish and depraved in House of the Dragon to characters who are like a, a lot, not all of them, but a lot of them are trying to do the right thing. Um, not only by themselves, but also like by their community, by their tribe, by their by their entire people. Um, and, you know, characters who give like moral lessons or like I think of like especially that first scene with Galadriel and her older brother. And they're like, it's it's just very sweet. <laughs> the only way I know how to describe it and to compare it immediately to Hot D, uh, which is just the most unsweet show of all time. Um, it, it is a really stark contrast, and personally, I'm attracted more to the fucked up and to the depraved. Uh, so I, I, I tend to lean towards the dragon, but I am really glad that we do that. I have this contrast in my life, frankly, that I can. Uh, I feel like I'm being I'm I'm being filled up everywhere. Like every every little bit of my moral compass is being satisfied. Yeah, I think I think you you forget just how cheesy like the Jackson trilogy yeah. is at times and how, and how corny it is, but it yeah. works. Right. Mm -hmm. and it does. I think it's so impressive when that like balance can be struck. Um, you know, like when, when Sam is given the speech at the end of two towers and they're intercutting in between the battle of Helm's deep, like as like the tide is turning in the battle of Helm's deep, um, you know, talking about how the, the heroes of those stories could have turned back, but they didn't, you know, they didn't turn back when it got hard and every, you know, and the music swells up behind. And it's just like, you know what? Fuck yeah. Like, that's the shit I need. Sometimes you need to just feel good yeah. about, about your heroes in the mm -hmm. story. I don't need my heroes to always be, uh, you know, flawed. And I don't need them to always, uh, to always have, like, moral gray. Sometimes you just want your heroes to be heroes. And... I, I'm really excited. Like the the show so far has given me the tone is what's most excited me, is we've like taken our time and we've really done the the cornball stuff, but in a way that doesn't feel over the top. I don't know. Yeah, like that. And if any like character does have a couple of flaws, any like quote unquote good character, it'll be smoothed over in one to two episodes time. No harm, no foul. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's like you know they might be rough around the edges, but they're still you know morally in the right place 100 um, so i don't know i think it's it's been a really nice change of pace um i think if that at all interests you if you're like evan and you haven't watched it yet but you've watched house of the dragon uh if you like the jackson trilogy i think there's a lot to like so far about these first couple episodes would you agree yeah yeah absolutely i i really i mean there's obviously a lot of online outrage and outcry which I don't even think we need to justify because if you're a true fan of the Jackson trilogy or of the books, you're going to find a lot to, to love here and you're going to be excited about what's to come. There is still so much mystery. Um, that is I, from my understanding, I haven't read a lot of the appendices that this is based on, but there is mystery that can be solved from the books and there's mystery that can't be. There's mystery that they are. It is brand new. And that's really exciting to me that um, I can't be completely blind and that everyone else in some ways is completely blind going into these last five episodes. You know, yeah. we, we don't even we haven't even seen I mean, we haven't seen Sauron's face yet. I don't think if we have, it's not it's not been 100 percent revealed. Right. They're playing things close to the chest. They are not rushing anything. There's been a couple of really cool uh, action sequences 
I think that um, I forget the elf's name, but when they when they try their little breakout from the orc uh, work camp, there's some really sick slow motion stuff going on there that felt felt a little matrixy, uh, but also but but again, I think also felt Lord of the Ringsy in that um, this is just you know uh, an elf who is you know a absolutely fantastic warrior who's going to do shit you've never seen before. Yeah, a, a rondier. Um, a rondier, yeah. Stuff, awesome. all, all all the stuff with the chains during mm-hmm. that action sequence really cool so um, I, I i do want to ask evan if it's okay if there's anything that you're either you're curious about or if there's something that's like kind of stopped you from like immediately running to it if you're waiting to binge or like where you know where, where your headspace is with it um I, I think waiting to binge is probably the right way to put it, it it's really mostly been a time thing um for me at at this point just been kind of busy and obviously i I prioritize movies on like uh, like you know I am happy to be talking about like TV shows and stuff but like I anytime I can find 2 hours I'm always going to watch a movie and that's mm-hmm. kind of been what it's what it's been for me. I will say also I'm like have like an oh, my own little personal, you know, uh like kind of mini vendetta against just like the re imagining of ip in a way so even though it's stuff that like i love the origin of like star wars is what what kind of broke me in a way just because i did still like unapologetically just love star wars um and i still do lots of those movies but i'm just like it's so weird to have a new star wars show come out and and just want to avoid everything about it um and I feel like it's jaded me a little bit. So that that might be the only reason why I'm not like prioritizing making the time, if that makes sense. Dude, I completely feel that. My my brother and I bonded a lot over Star Wars um, when he was younger. It was like one of the first things that we could kind of come together on. And he still is like deep in like watching all the new shows that come out, you know, like sending me like trailers for the video games. And I'm like, I don't fucking care. Like, I didn't watch Kenobi. I don't care about the next season of The Mandalorian. I don't care. Like, it's all crap to me. It just feels like it's, like, in the IP Marvel machine. Um, But there's, for whatever reason, Lord of the Rings is just, like, I'm still at the place where I will will always give a chance to revisit Middle Earth. Like, like, those Hobbit movies are not good, but I will still watch the Hobbit movies. There's a lot that I like about them. Um, it hasn't sullied itself to the point that Star Wars has for me. Um, and so I, I'd, say, I'd say give it a chance because being back in Middle Earth is, is fucking dope. It's, it's yeah. really dope. The Hobbit movies, I've like memory hold. I even rewatched them last year just on a, on a lark because they are HBO Max and they're really bad. But I can somehow just push that aside, I think, because, I mean, it, Lord of the Rings came out in 01 was Fellowship. So it's all like, it's not exactly like, it hasn't been a long spiral. It hasn't been a long descent like I think Star Wars has. Um, and one last time, if I can be a, a contrarian uh, Kevin, um, I am so in the bag for the new Star Wars show for Andor. I am psyched for <laughs> because it's Tony Gilroy. The motherfucker made Michael Clayton, guys. Like, I'm going to watch anything he wants to stamp his name on. Anything. First night. I'm, That's I'm excited. Fair. I'm excited to hear that. The one thing I will say is like, the, I think, I mean, I don't know if you agree, Evan, but I know Chip and I agree that Rogue One's the best Star Wars property to come out since Disney took over, right? It's it's flipped back and forth with Last Jedi, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's up there. And, and 
the fact that it's kind of like around the same ethos of mm-hmm. of uh, Rogue One, I think is is like that yeah, is I mean, potentially it's a, interesting. A lot of the same creative team. It's the same guy, same Diego. What's his face? Yeah, I'm there for it. Diego, what's his face? I've uh, I've got to familiarize myself with his work. Um, <laughs> Mister, what's his face? I believe. Mr. What's-His-Face to you. Um, Diego Luna. Yeah, I think that's pretty much all I got so far. I think, again, we're going to probably come back and do another episode on on both of these shows towards the end um, and examine them as more holistic works of art um, as a, you know after we see a whole season. But I think this was just a chance to hop on, kind of intro the idea of us doing shows um, and touching on some shows for the first time ever and, and getting a chance to talk about what we've thought so far. I think both of these, I think that was like actually a great note to end it on, um, Evan, because I think both of these are, are testers of falling back in, into the IP spiral. Uh, you know, even with Game of Thrones, like the way it ended, you know, I think there's a lot of people that weren't ready to hop back into House of the Dragon. They're like, no, 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 you're not going to get me again. You know, I'm, I'm done with this universe. And I think there's a lot of people that are diehard Tolkien heads that were really nervous for Rings of Power and that were like, ah, I don't I don't want to see Tolkien's world sullied anymore after yeah. uh, The Hobbit. So I think so far, so good. We got a long way to go <laughs> with both of these shows. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of time for the wheels to fall off, but uh, I think we can safely say right now a cautious thumbs up. Uh, any parting, parting thoughts on the two shows before we wrap it up and, and uh, send it off to next week? I don't think so. Um, it'd be fun to see the Emmy race with both of these at next year. Um, because, you know, Thrones and, and Lord of the Rings always got compared because they are, you know, fantasy for adults in one way or another. Um, but to see them actually go head-to-head in the same medium in an awards race is, is going to be interesting, I think. Yeah, completely. Awesome. Um, well, thank you guys so much, as always, for listening. Uh, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter, Flick and Scream, on Instagram at Flicking and Screaming. Join us on FlickingandScreaming.com. Um, if there are some episodes of these shows that we are really taken by, you never know. A blog might appear um, about one of them. So there's some stuff that could could potentially be happening over on FlickingAndScreaming.com. But you'll never know if you don't go to the website. True. Uh, next week, we're actually going to do the Clint Eastwood Top 5 that we were supposed to do this week, but, uh, but decided that we needed a little bit more time to prepare. The man has got a deep uh, and wide catalog. Uh, so we needed some some more time. But next week, you're going to get it. Uh, and so I'm excited uh, to dive in to the man, uh, the myth, the legend, and the sometimes problematic figure himself. Sometimes. Parting, uh, parting, parting thought. Did you say sometimes? Yeah, every now and then. Sometimes. Yeah. Every now and then. All right, guys. From Flicking and Screaming, I'm Jed Sprague. Evan Fagundis, JT Chipman. Join us at the Hour of the Owl for next time. I will see you there. Hooting and hollering. And now, the starting lineup for your Tasters. What's up, guys? I go slacker. I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet.